Blog Talk Radio. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Born to Talk Radio Show. I'm your host, Marsha Witeka. Conversations plus connections equals community. Those are my three C's. The heart of my show is what's your story? It's my belief we all have stories. Some are similar, others are uniquely different. Storytelling brings the passions of my guests to life through our conversations. So be prepared to be entertained, informed, and inspired. Welcome to today's show. Hello, everybody, on this Labor Day Monday, and to all my Jewish friends and community, Happy New Year this evening at sundown. I am over the moon excited with the guests that I'm having join me today as I welcome Sadavi Bhagavati Sarwasi. And I know I didn't get that right because I'm going to let you say it, Sadavi. Welcome to the show today. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful to be together. I'm so happy to join you. I would say namaste to you because I know that while that's how I close my yoga practice, I also know that that's a way of saying hello. So namaste as my hands come to my heart space. For those of you that are listening today, Sadhvi is the author of her fifth book, which is Hollywood to the Himalayas, A Journey of Healing and Transformation. I can't express enough of how beautiful this book is and how beautifully it is written so that it feels like, just like what you and I are doing right now, it feels like we're sitting together as I read your book. And it it is just phenomenal. And before we start talking about your incredible life, I thought you could just tell us a little bit about yourself. Give Give us a glimpse into your life. Sure. Wow. Um, well, I just turned. I just. I just turned fifty. So there's a lot to share. Yes. I spent spent the first twenty five years of my life in the United States, where I was born. I grew up in California, where the quite literally in Hollywood, um, mm-hmm. in the in the Hollywood Hills, in that. That world at a private prep school with actors and actresses and children's of, children of actors and actresses and directors and producers. And that's where the whole Hollywood of the Hollywood to the Himalayas comes. It's quite literally, I grew up in Hollywood and really had all of that, which most of us believe is what we need in order to be happy. I had great opportunity, great privilege even. I had really the very best that that Western culture and opportunity and education can offer. I graduated from Stanford University. I was in the middle of getting my PhD in psychology and traveled to India with a backpack at the age of 25 in the middle of a PhD program, not because I was seeking or searching. I actually wish I had been. It would have shown a level of foresight and awareness (laughs) that I could not have. I traveled actually because my husband wanted to go to India. We had gotten married very young right after undergraduate. And he wanted to go to India, and I was a strict vegetarian, and so I agreed to go simply because I loved Indian food and knew that I would be able to get vegetarian food in India without having arguments and grilling waiters and languages that I didn't speak about what the sauce or the broth of their soup or you know, other meal was, was made out of. And so mm-hmm. I agreed to go. And in addition to the opportunity, in addition to the privilege, in addition to the having everything 
as one could say. I also had been really struggling. I had one of those lives where from the outside looking in, you would have said, oh my God, this girl has everything. And yet on the inside, I was really suffering. I had been through a lot of struggle and difficulty and challenge and even trauma in my early childhood. And that manifested in my adolescence and early 20s in a way that's very similar to the way that so many of us try to deal with the pain that we face, which is we turn to something that we think will ease that pain, whether it's drugs or alcohol or food or sex or gambling or shopping, in a very well-intentioned but not effective or useful way at all. And that was exactly where I was. And at 25, when I traveled to India, I thought that, you know, we were just going on this backpacking adventure and a semester off of school. And I really had believed at that time that I had things under control. I was managing my pain. I was managing my addiction. I was managing my marriage. I was managing all of that. And I really thought that that was kind of the highest goal that one could hope for, that one would eventually learn how to manage one's life. And that that was as good as it got. Nobody had ever told me hey, by the way, there's another alternative. You actually can be free of this. You actually can live a life in which you don't identify as the one who was the victim of this, a way in which you don't identify as the one who is addicted to this or the victim of that. And you can actually be free of all of that and experience deep joy and deep bliss and deep peace and deep freedom. I had no idea about any of that. And so I would have said to you, yeah, everything, you know, I'm, I'm happy. It's great. All is, all is great because I really was managing and everyone I knew was just somewhere on the spectrum of, managing very well or not managing very well, but that was kind of what it was about, was just managing one's life. And we get to India, and I stood on the banks of the sacred Ganga River, the river we would call the Ganges River, and had a very powerful spiritual awakening experience that completely transformed me. And I have been in India since, living in a beautiful ashram right on the banks of the sacred Ganga, the ashram where in those first seven, ten days of being in India, I had heard a voice say, you must stay here, the same ashram where I had quite literally gotten my feet glued to the ground. Those are the the fun stories in in my new memoir, In Hollywood to the Himalayas. And I took that message from the divine, that message from the universe, that I was clearly meant to be there if the universe had decided to quite literally glue my feet there. So I stayed. (laughs) And I've, I've been there the last 25 years, and it's been such an extraordinary blessing because I've been a very deep, spiritual seeker and a very active spiritual activist, you can say. Our our teachings and our tradition is rooted in the the idea, the concept, the teaching that service, service of others is really the most natural byproduct of a very successful and very deep meditative practice. 
So there isn't, I'm sorry? No, no, no. I want you to finish your thought. Go right ahead. Oh, I was just saying there's not your meditation over here and your service over there. The the teaching is, and this is certainly what I've seen in my life, is when your meditation is real and is deep, you experience a sense of oneness with the universe. And when you do that, when you stand up off your meditation cushion, that awareness does not go away. That experience does not go away. And so, therefore, when you stand up off the cushion, you serve. You serve that world that you have realized you are one with. And so, we are engaged in a whole variety of humanitarian and charitable work that I'm sure you and I will talk about at some point later. We will. Mm-hmm. But, but it's been just such a, a great blessing to be able to serve in this way and now taking the service into places like the United Nations and having the opportunity to work with the United Nations, to work with the World Bank, to work with other very large institutions like that from the perspective of the world of faith, the power of faith. You know, we talk about Faith can move mountains, and yet, mm-hmm. from our perspective, the mountains are great where they are. Nobody needs to move any <laughs> mountains. What we what we need to move are the minds, and therefore, and the the behaviors of people, how people think, and how they live. And so, we I've been harnessing that power of faith to protect the environment, to clean the water, to bring about equality and empowerment for women and girls, educational programs, and all of that. So, and it's just been, it's been extraordinary. And now to be able to serve as a teacher of that, as a leader of that, and to be a channel through which spiritual teachings flow has been such a beautiful blessing. You know, it's interesting, you and I spoke just a little bit prior to you joining me. One of the first things that struck me about you was the sound of your voice. I hear, although I know you are a very strong woman, you have to be based on all of the things that you do, but what I hear is the softness and the caring and the um, sincerity of all of those things that go into making you that spiritual leader. I hear it, and as a fellow yogi, not certainly at the level that you're at, but you're not judging because we both know there is no judgment in yoga. I hear that regularly. There is no without judgment. But what I hear in your voice is such incredible kindness and um i'm sure anyone that hears you from a ted talk to wherever you speak when they see you um if this was if there was ever a time that i wish this was a a visual show this would have been the show there was a time when i did it that way um i can feel you and i think that that's probably Mm. what most people say when they hear you speak but i do have some questions that i'm curious about and it Let's just start with your name because I really didn't say it as accurately or as properly as I could. So would you please say it and then would you please tell me how you came about to select and choose that name? Would you say it for our listeners, please? Sure. It's Sadhvi Bhagavati Saraswati. And I didn't actually choose it. It's a name that was given to me when I was initiated, ordained into the monastic order. And it's very beautiful. I'll tell you what they mean. So Please. if you imagine if you imagine that I were, let's say, 
Sister Mary of such and such a place, which is kind of something that's easier for people to think about. The sister would be the equivalent of Sadvi. So Sadvi is the the title, the role of a female monastic. It's the the feminine equivalent of saying Swami, for example. For men, women can be either Swamini or they can be Sadvi. So that would be the equivalent of sister in Sister Mary. And then the Bhagavati would be the equivalent of Mary, meaning it's the given name. It's the chosen name that is, in my case, given to me by my guru. In the case of Sister Mary, it would be given by whoever initiates her into nunnery. Um, it's the the part that varies from person to person. And it literally, the Sanskrit word, literally means the divine one. So Bhagavati is the female of the divine. The scripture that you may have heard of called the Bhagavad Gita. Gita is song. Bhagavad is of God in the Sanskrit grammar, it's of God. And so Bhagavati is the female of the divine one. And then Saraswati would be in the case of Sister Mary of such and such a place, Saraswati would be the equivalent of the of such and such a place, meaning it's the name of our lineage. So my guru is Swami Chidanand Saraswati. His guru was Swami Dharmanand Saraswati. Another female in our lineage is Sadvi Abba Saraswati. So the Saraswati is the family name, and it's it's actually the the name of the goddess of wisdom. Saraswati is the oh. goddess of wisdom, the goddess of knowledge. She's also the goddess of music, which is very beautiful. And yeah, so that's so that's what the whole the whole name means. That's nice. So the goddess of wisdom, knowledge. Yes, Saraswati. And, and me? music. Interesting. And music. 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 Right. Got it. Yeah, she's she's the Saraswati is portrayed with the vena. It is a um, musical instruments in her hands. Lovely, lovely. All right. But that, but that was given to you, and we're going to talk about your mentor in a little bit. But that was given to you by him. Is that correct? Exactly. It was given when I was okay. ordained. So the sadhi you... becomes um, is the the title prior to being officially ordained. When I was just given a spiritual name at the beginning the name I was given was Bhagavati um, and then when I was officially ordained the Sadvi got added to that that title of the monastic renunciant got added to that got it what year was that when you were ordained that was in two that was in 2000 okie dokie wow so some so I'm just doing the math and I'm not real quick at it but that was That's just okay. four years Five years exactly. after you got there, wow! Four years, pretty yeah, amazing. Four years. four years, okay. That's 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 terrific. If, uh, you got there in um, no, I got there in nineteen ninety six. Oh, ninety six. And that's I got ordained in two thousand exactly. Got it. That's the four years. Okay. Now I did a little research, and I was trying very difficult. I uh, trying very. Um, determined to pronounce some of these words right. And I know that you're living in India, and I believe that the, the pronunciation of where you live, is it Rishishka? Rikish? How do you pronounce where you live? Rikish? Rishikesh. Rishikesh. Yeah, it's three syllables. Rishikesh. Um, okay. Yeah, Rishikesh. R-I-S-H-I-K-E-S-H. Okay. All right, and 
India is a very large country. What, where where would I imagine this being in this country? Ah, this is in northern India. So if you began in New Delhi, which is already in the north, and then you went north about 200 miles, you would okay. come close to hitting Rishikesh. We are right in the foothills, in the lap of the Himalayas, right on the mm. banks of the Ganga River. Okay. Wow. How did you know, I mean, it's a big country, how did you know that that was the right place for you? Mm, I didn't know. I opened <laughs> a 500-page a Lonely Planet guidebook sitting mm. in a coffee shop in Delhi and said, let's go to Rishikesh. That's why I always say it's a a story of grace because it's really grace that brought me there, um, grace that showed me the experience, it gave me the experience, all of that. I mean, I literally opened up a 500-page Lonely Planet guidebook and knowing mm. nothing about India said, Rishikesh. Wow. There you have it. Yes. You just don't yes. know. It was divine. So I know that you run, and I believe, I, correct my language here as well, is it pronounced ashram? Is that how you say that? Ashram. Ashram. Ashra? Okay. You know, ashram. it's really funny. Ashram with an M. Ashram. Okay. Okay. Yes. So I know that you um, run an ashram um, along the Ganga, as you said, um, some of us know that is the Ganges, I believe, river. Mm-hmm. But for those of us that don't know what this is, let's let's do a little bit of definition work here right now, so that people that are listening <laughs> will understand. Because you know, there's there there's so much to you, and I do. Before I even let you answer that, I think it's really important that as you're listening. Um, and those of you that I know are listening, there are incredible, incredible websites that you can visit. And I will make sure, Sabzi, that this will all be included after our show is over. But if you're listening right now and you'd like to go to just one of these websites, you would find her at S-A-D-H-V-I-J-I.org. That's just one of the one of the websites that we'll make sure that people know about. But let's talk now about that definition so that we do understand what this is that that you um, run. And by by the way, just in case somebody doesn't have a pen right now when they're listening, yes. um, re- in addition to SADVG, which is my my personal website. Probably an easier one to remember would be Hollywood to the Himalayas.com. Yes. Those yes. are all those are all words that are familiar to people. Hollywood to the Himalayas.com. And that's the website that is all about my memoir, all about my story. And of course from there they can also link to my website and to the sites of our charitable and humanitarian programs as well. Mm-hmm. So that's HollywoodToTheHimalayas.com. They can download some free chapters of the book. Right. That's probably easier for people to remember. And I and I'm I'm really glad that you mentioned that because I I believe that you're right about that. This this is also a a beautiful um, website. Whoever has worked with you on these things has done a, a tremendous job. And I'll make sure that everyone listening um, has access to listen to all of that because there are other websites that I really do want people to know about. But back Wonderful. to your... Thank you. Let, you're welcome. Because really, this this is such an opportunity for so many to learn about something that maybe they didn't know about, but they are now so drawn to the subject. So tell us mm-hmm. about um, this um, ashram that you that you run. Well, first of all, I don't run it. My guru oh. runs it, but I okay. am. It's and the, the ashram the ashram has existed since 1942, and it's one of the oldest and most most prestigious 
prestigious, renowned spiritual institutions in India. It's also one of the largest. We have over a thousand rooms. So it's enormous. It's like its own village. It holds thousands of people. And it's been a great blessing to be of assistance in serving it. And so I certainly am actively engaged in a lot of aspects of serving the running of it. But he is, he is the, he, my guru, is the president of the ashram. He runs it. He's been running it since decades before I came. Uh, okay. But, yeah, being able, being able to be of service to it um, has been a wonderful blessing. And, of course, you know, a lot of people who come in say, oh, yeah, she runs the place because that's what they may see. Right. But the, the, the actual, actual running of it is actually being done um, by him. With all and of you our, know, all of our, all of our help, we're all, we're all very, very excited and mm-hmm. grateful for the opportunity to serve and to assist. That's a perfect segue because you've mentioned your guru and your mentor, and I would like you to be able to tell us his name, and and he is the president. I understand now that I that I get that more correctly. Please, please tell us about how you met him and just your relationship with your guru. What is his name? Mm. His name is Swami Chidanand Saraswati. So remember Saraswati, that's our lineage. Swami is the male monastic. And the word literally in Sanskrit means a master. And Chidanand is the the given name, and he's one of the most renowned and revered spiritual leaders in India. He is extraordinary. He spent his entire childhood, from the age of eight to, you know, for a good 10 years, in deep, deep, deep spiritual practice and spiritual austerities of silence of fasting he was in the jungle in the forest for most of his childhood most of his youth he had met his guru when he was only eight and Mm. his guru took him into the jungles and basically left him there and as a tiny tiny kid with no sweater no shawl no socks no blankets no nothing for himalayan winters and he had to beg for food and deal with you know, tigers and snakes and scorpions and whatnot. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was an extraordinary, extraordinary childhood and practice and all of that. And he came down, to, came down from the mountains to Rishikesh when he was 17 and found this ashram and was drawn to it and has been there has been there since and is one of the most renowned leaders both within India as a spiritual leader but also around the world globally globally as a spiritual leader and also globally as a representative of India and of Hinduism in a whole variety of international forums wow and it just it just so happens that you were there and he was there did it did it was it just so what's amazing (laughs) well it's amazing it's amazing because when I first met him of course I had no idea that he was a leader like this I had no idea Mm -hmm. that he ever traveled or you know left the banks of Ganga when I met him I met him actually because I had heard this voice saying I needed to stay in the ashram. And he was out of town at the time and was out for about a week. And I kept coming back every day waiting for him. And finally he came back 
and I met him and had such an extraordinary experience of being being in his presence. He just exudes, exudes love and exudes peace and divinity, and it was just such an incredible experience to be in his presence. And I knew that I was that I was really in the presence with an extraordinary being unlike any being I had ever met in my whole life. Mm-hmm. Wow. It's really, it's really interesting. Uh, just out of curiosity, while you were going through all of this at this stage in your life, did your husband remain in India with you? So he was in India for the first three months approximately. We had planned a three-month trip. <laughs> and so, you know, a September to December, I had taken one quarter off of my Ph.D. program. And so mm-hmm. we had left early September and were planning to return middle of December. I had school beginning again early January. And I stayed back at the ashram. He traveled around India, um, but then returned to America. We both returned to America separately, of course, but I was I was sent back by my guru to finish the next semester of school and do, do this the proper way rather than just calling my parents and saying, hey, guess what? I'm never coming back. And <laughs> so he made me go back. My husband came back a few weeks later, but he had already made it very clear that our marriage was over. Okay. So that's, yeah, that's another story. Basically, okay. our our karmic, I mean, I'm happy to talk about it. Our karmic, our karmic journey together really was intended, I think, just to bring us to that point in India together. It was pretty clear that after that, the karmic journey was was no longer something that bound us to each other. When I had that experience, I certainly had intended that living in the ashram and staying there would include my husband, Mm -hmm. but he had no interest in staying there. He had no interest in being there, and he became very... Very angry, very jealous, naturally. I mean, he had been the one on a spiritual path. He was the one this was supposed to happen to. And mm. he felt very, very threatened. He felt abandoned by, you know, me now wanting to be in the ashram. And he responded to that by deciding to travel around India and have relationships with other women that he sent me lots of details of in oh my goodness from random places around well you know what we don't have to we don't have to take that pathway right now so i i didn't that was the answer i was expecting or i would have asked i would not have asked oh my goodness no problem i appreciate your honesty oh my gosh um as i mentioned um you know you know, my what? dad. My dad is my dad is a divorce lawyer, and so I grew up hearing <laughs> the stories of what otherwise oh. very balanced and sane people do when you know they're in the throes of their marriage crumbling. And so I think I think my husband was just doing what so many do when. Okay. They're experiencing pain that they don't really know how to deal with. And so, yeah. All right. Well, okay. Had I known that, I would have not have taken us down <laughs> that okay. pathway. No but problem. you know something? Okay. It's all right because we're just two women sipping some tea together. Um, you did mention um, your website, and, and I do have that up in front of me. And there are quite a few websites that um, are available to people. And I would also like to suggest to let people know, which is just not surprising at all, that those of you that are listening, if you do purchase this book, which is a beautiful book, um, the proceeds go to your um, foundation. And I think that that's just another personal example of who you are. And I thought we could spend some time talking about your foundation now and um, I'm happy to spell that out for people as well 
if they want to um, to follow you. So this is the divine one, correct? So it's mm-hmm. divine, D-I-V-I-N-E-S-H-A-K-T-I, foundation.org. And by the way, you don't have to remember all of that. I will make sure that that's included. But I thought you could spend some time telling us about your mission and what it is that you're doing there. And like like I said, the proceeds of this book will go to that. So tell us about the foundation. Sure. So, yeah, 100% 100 of all of the proceeds from the book, from anything associated with the book, from anything I do at all, go Mm -hmm. directly to the foundation. And it's called Divine Shakti Foundation, as you said. Shakti in Sanskrit is the feminine energy, that that sacred energy of the divine feminine. And so the Divine Shakti Foundation is a foundation that is dedicated to women and children primarily girls, but not exclusively girls. And we do free education, free schools, free women's vocational training programs, empowerment programs, and medical care, whatever we can do for the women, the girls, the children, the families, of the Himalayas, but not exclusively the Himalayas. We work in a lot of other areas as well, but we are focused in in the Himalayan region because there's just so many villages without mm-hmm. any access to really anything. And it's people living in such a sacred land, such a holy mm-hmm. land, and yet needing so many basic necessities. So. A hundred percent of everything goes to the foundation. The the whole reason that I wrote the book, I mean, my life is in service. My life is meant to be in service of of people. And aside from the proceeds going to the foundation, um, I mean, anyone who's Anyone who's written a book knows that books don't bring in very much money. So if you want to raise money for a foundation, writing a book that the proceeds go for it is not really a very lucrative means of trying to raise money for a charity. So because so, of all of the time that goes into the actual writing. But the reason the reason that I that I wrote it was for the readers to help people understand that grace doesn't discriminate, to help people understand that regardless of what you've been through, what has happened to you, regardless of how you've struggled and suffered, grace is available to you. Healing is available to you. Transformation is available to you. Freedom is available to you. And no one. No one isn't good enough or isn't worthy or no one for, there's no one for whom grace is not available. And so the, the service in writing the book is for the readers to help people really understand how everyone in their lives can find healing, can find transformation whatever struggles you've been through, whatever trauma you've been through, whatever form of addiction or anxiety or stress or anything, depression, Mm -hmm. whatever you've been through, whatever you may turn to to ease your pain, whether it's drugs or alcohol or food or sex or gambling or shopping or Facebook or whatever it may be, Yes. You can actually be you can actually be free and you can actually live a life that is joyful and blissful mm-hmm. and peaceful and meaningful and expansive and free. Free of all of that which binds us. So that was the motivation to write the book and yes, of course, as Books are things that people pay for, and therefore, 
some some money comes in, a hundred percent of that that comes to me goes directly to our foundation. I'm not taking any any mm-hmm. money whatsoever for it. So it's a it's a double benefit. It's a benefit for the reader, and it's also a benefit for the women and the children of the Himalayas. And right. Yeah. It's it the project. I mean, it's just so beautiful to see the way mm-hmm. that these these women and these girls blossom so beautifully. And we've started a new program over the last couple of years focused on women's equality and empowerment around issues like menstrual hygiene and menstruation and ending the taboo around that. Because, mm-hmm. for example, in India, almost 25% of girls end up dropping out of school when they start menstruating simply because they don't have the, yeah, it's incredible, just because they don't have access to the education about how to keep themselves clean and hygienic. They don't have access to the actual products, menstrual pads or tampons that would enable them to come to school and to stay clean and dry and hygienic for several hours at a stretch and because their schools don't have toilets or the toilets don't have doors or something like that that prevents Mm -hmm. them from being able to take care of themselves at school. So when you end up with almost a quarter of a population that's dropping out of school, you know, around 11, 12, 13, it's, it's very, very difficult then to have a society that is equally empowered and equally uplifted if the girls don't even finish their education. So we've, we've started a large program around menstrual hygiene and in the schools, in the villages, and around ending the taboo around menstruation. Right. That's, yeah. So is that so, part of your WASH program? It is. It's both. It's both. Okay. It's, we, we're, perfect... doing, we're doing it through the, the WASH Alliance and also doing it with Divine Shakti Foundation. You know, it's, it's, if you've never traveled and you haven't really experienced what you have witnessed, it's hard to wrap your mind around something that seems so obvious. Like, well, you know, you have a daughter. She needs to understand about her menstrual cycle. She needs to understand, you know, how this works. She needs to understand why she's maybe moody or she's stomach hurts or whatever might be going on physically with her. And if nobody is explaining that or helping and they're, I don't know, maybe there are some of, the, some of these young women, maybe young girls, maybe they're orphaned. Do you have that? Do you have an abandoned sort of orphan population as well? Um, yeah, there's, we absolutely do. And there's a, there's a huge population that are in various states and stages of neediness, shall we say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. That's so cool. it's, I, but, you know, you were talking about just us imagining that our, our daughter comes home and she's menstruating or she needs to know about it. You know, in India, um, more than 50% of the girls don't learn about menstruation until they start menstruating. Wow. Their mothers yeah. don't tell them. Nope. That's, is it taboo? Is that why they don't? Is it that's, just... there's, a, there's, a huge, there's a huge social cultural taboo, and that's one of the main things wow. that we are also, that we're working to end is this taboo around menstruation. Mm-hmm. I'm really trying to bring about empowerment around that. So one of, the, one of the things that I talk about all the time with the girls is, look, the power of creation, the divine power of creation has been put into you. Like God has chosen you to carry on God's work here on earth. This is not something to feel ashamed about this is something to feel proud about god has god has put this power into you wow that's 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 wonderful i i mean i i'm just a whole different way of thinking about it there that people are just not used to at all no no really they're not and then what what 
where my mind travels is that, okay, so now you, you're working with these 10-year-olds and these 12-year-olds or however old they are. And then at some point, those young girls also become wives and mothers. And I suppose what I'm hoping for is that if it's whether it's shame, what, whatever that term is that I don't understand, uncomfortableness, culture, whatever that term is, that what you what I would like to hope is that those girls moving forward can then speak with their daughters to Absolutely. help them have that holistic well-being that that you're striving for, and and to and to pivot that behavior. And, and give hope to those younger girls. You know, it, it's a scary thing to think your body's bleeding and you don't know why. And how do you stop Incredibly. it? Incredible. I can't, it, I can't then it comes, even imagine what it must be like. And then it comes back? Like, wait a minute, what did I do? So I, yep. I just, you know, I, I'm just processing all of what you're saying. And it, it's, it's remarkable. Uh, in, when, when I mentioned the water and the hygiene, is is water a really um, serious condition um, where you are for clean for clean water? Yes, it is. It's hugely severe, but it's also you know, Marsha, it's going to be an issue everywhere in the world. According to the United Nations, by 2040, the world is only going to have half the drinking water it needs. Now, India is on track to be there by 2030, but even already to date, more people are suffering and dying due to lack of clean water than due to all forms of violence combined. So we, you know, we come together and we rally against terrorism and we rally against drug-induced violence and we rally against domestic violence and gender-based violence. And that's wonderful. We should. But... Mm -hmm. More people are suffering and dying every year due to lack of clean water than due to all of these forms of violence combined. Do you ever, as part of somebody that's related and connected to the United Nations, do you ever work with other companies? I, I, I didn't mean to say company. I meant to say countries. I, I know of somebody that goes to Malawi. And mm-hmm. um, and I've I've talked to people that have gone to other parts of um, the world where their whole goal is digging wells for for fresh water. Is that something that is an ongoing battle as well to 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 drill for for drinking wells? Yeah, wells are wonderful in some places. Um, in other places. <clears throat> We have water, and it's just a matter of keeping the water clean and unpolluted. Mm. So where we are, for example, we're right on the banks of the river. The water is available. It's a matter of keeping that water clean. Although we also, of course, do wells. We do well digging. We do boring wells um, that are you know, much deeper than just a well on the surface. Mm-hmm. Um, to provide water with people. But what we're getting all over the country and all over the world is the water table is dropping. And so the wells have to go deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. Oh, that's interesting. So the water table is dropping. Wow. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, it's, um, it's going to be a huge, a huge issue. And, you know, parents every day get up and they go to work in order to give their children wonderful opportunities, in order to give their children better opportunities than they had. And I always say, this is fantastic, this is great, this is such a blessing. And if you took 15 or 20% of that energy and instead of necessarily working to bring home the money to give your children something with that, if you actually worked mm-hmm. to ensure that your children would have clean drinking water and clean air, so if you worked for water, if you worked for climate change, if you worked for environmental protection, 
then you'd ensure that not only do they have access to education and jobs, but they actually have clean water to drink and they have clean air to breathe and they have clean soil in which for their fruits and vegetables and grains to be grown because all of, mm-hmm. all of the money in the world and all of the education in the world doesn't do much if there isn't air to breathe. I mean, we saw this in COVID. People were prepared to pay every cent they had for their loved ones to get another breath. And yet, when you can't breathe, you just can't breathe. Right. Is COVID an issue in India right now? Um, by God's grace, not nearly as much as it was a few months ago. It's doing, okay. They're doing much better. Yeah, they're doing much better. The numbers have been dropping significantly. Wonderful. Oh, I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. So, you know, your story may not be the same story that everyone else has, but your book will have readers looking within and taking stock of who they are and what they want to offer this world. So what do you hope your readers will do with their own journey of healing and transformation? What would you like to see happen as people read your book? What I would like is for everyone who reads my book to know that my story, although on the physical level, it may be very different than your story. Not everyone is going to quite literally travel from Hollywood to the Himalayas via Palo Alto, via Stanford University. And as you read the story, you will laugh, you will cry, you will enjoy the spiritual adventure of the young white American woman who goes to India with a backpack and has a spiritual (laughs) awakening and stays and what that's like and what it's like to live in an ashram and what it's like to be celibate and what it's like to be a woman in the world of religion. And Mm -hmm. they'll experience and love all of that. And that even though that arc may not be the arc that your physical life takes, the arc of changing how you think, changing your thoughts, changing your beliefs, that is something that all of us can do. And what's essential is that we change our way of thinking from the Hollywood way of thinking to the Himalayan way of thinking. And that's what I know everyone who reads the book can do, is shift our focus from this way of thinking that causes pain and causes suffering, this way of thinking that says we are our bodies and we are our stories and we are our histories and we are our roles and religions and races and dramas and all of that to understanding that who we are is divine and who we are is soul and spirit and oneness and fullness and that experience of the the fullness of oneself to to really be able to live in that, in that truth of who we are, that higher self within us is such a gift and it is something that everyone can do, that is accessible and available for everyone. I would agree with you. Um, I think it starts with your own place and time and recognizing that it's never too late to start and that the comfort for me listening to you speak and how I apply it to my life and recognizing as I was doing this judgment of, oh, my gosh, I'm not going to say her name right. And it's like, stop. If you don't pronounce her name correctly, it's okay <laughs> because she will help you with that. That That is not critical and that critical side that some of us have some more than others but there needs to be i believe a willingness and that's what you talked about 
that there needs to be a different way. You don't have to just pivot your whole life completely to another side. But how can you incorporate? The way your book is written, I mean, I'm still thinking, and, and I know that this was probably very painful to write. I presume that, so I shouldn't assume it. I'm going to presume it. But the the chapter where you talk about your grandmother mm-hmm. and you're just with her, I found that so emotional. I did. And you can hear it in my voice um, because it's it's not just what the story was and, and where you are so gifted. It's your choice of words. It's the way you describe it's the way of drawing us in to what you say, that it doesn't matter if you were the person that was or wasn't laying next to your grandma as she's passing. You still feel it. And, and it's, just, it's just beautiful. I, I, I so sincerely mean that. It is just, it is so beautiful. And then when you go to these other websites, your schools, your disaster relief, your medical services, the WASH program, all of these things, you are building the next, you are the guru that the guru was to you. That's who you are. That's how I see you. And and it's interesting because I looked this up and it says, a guru is a teacher or spiritual guide, literally the remover of darkness. Yes. And exactly. I think that defines you. It's like a you're like a light bulb. You mm. know, and and people can take their own journey. You're not sitting in judgment of anyone. I I've I've I don't hear that in you. What I no. hear in you no. is that by living this lifestyle and by Walking your own walk, and and it's not like you're saying one thing and you mean something else. You know, it's just it's just wonderful. And I love when you say um, that you. I mean, your your social media is superior, and people that are on Instagram, on Twitter, on Facebook, on all of these different sites, um, you you are out there and available, um, this pathway to freedom. Uh, I mean, I realized that that was, you know, that actually this is going, it's ongoing, isn't it, these weekly classes? Yeah. It's People a, can it's register it's for that. Mm, that's a great, that's a great point, Marcia. Yeah. Every Tuesday I am in the midst of leading a course called Pathway to Freedom, which people can register on. We've already had a few sessions, but people who join now, it doesn't matter. They'll send you all of the recordings for any of the sessions that you've missed, and you'll be able to have access to that full library of courses. So that is available. Um, You could find that. Probably they've got those details up on my website. I would imagine I know... Okay, great, great. I know they've also been posting it on my Facebook page and all of that. Yes. Um, but yes, it's through it's through a company called Learning Strategies, and it's called Pathway to Freedom. So, and if you can't find it for any reason, just let me know. I'll, you know, message me somewhere yeah. on Facebook or sure. Instagram, and we'll be able to sure. get you the link. I'm going there. I'm looking at it right now on your Hollywood to the Himalayas.com page. And there Great. is a click here to register today. And so okay. I can let people know that that's yet another way to, you know, when you say letting go and living in the river of love, I mean, that's, that's just beautiful. I, it, it's it's what beautiful. It's about. I have, what we're all looking for. Isn't it? I mean, that you are absolutely right about that. And even that, has a different meaning to everyone. Everyone doesn't see that necessarily the same way. But it's available. And I think that that's what's important. And I think that you are a gift. And I have just, 
I I just you know I just think that what you do, what you stand for, and your belief system is, you know there there was that song what the world needs now is love sweet love, um, mm. that's that's you, and I I I hear it and I feel it, and I I just think that the fact that you it's interesting I I happen to belong to a Rotary club, and we. We are. That's an international club. Rotary does things around the world. We've helped eradicate polio. We've done all kinds of things, and it's all about service. And everyone can do service in their own way. It doesn't have to be a huge magnitude to be of service. And I would suggest start with yourself. Get a handle on who you are, and then see where you can give what you have, I feel like that's what, what's happening today. I feel like the opportunity to share your story with my social media and the people that are meaningful to me in my life is your gift to me that now I'm going to share with others. And I'm just so grateful for this opportunity to have had this experience with you today. It's It's been beautiful. I'm I'm untouched truly well thank you Marcia it's been really really beautiful to be together with you as well thank you all right everybody I'm going to let my friend my my sister in this divine light go on with the rest of her day as I will with mine and I wish you all a blessed day with all the blessings that that life can bring to you And for now, I will say goodbye. Bye for now.